fans of all ages, welcome back to Exit Velo, the fourth episode of the Exit Velo podcast. Ryan Morick here with you alongside Adam Cohen and Christian Q. Coranta. We're finally on an episode where we are not talking about trash cans, the Houston Astros, or cheating or anything like that. We're probably going to get a little bit fired up anyway because this is our Hall of Fame episode. The Baseball Hall of Fame Class of 2020 will be announced. We're recording this on a Monday night right now on Martin Luther King Day, January 20th. The ballot, or excuse me, the results will be announced on Tuesday, the 21st. So by the time you're hearing this, it's either late Monday or Tuesday. But the ballot will be officially announced tomorrow. It is surely looking like Derek Jeter will get in. The Yankee legend, the 14-time All-Star, who knocked up 3,465 hits in his illustrious career and five World Series titles. Adam, I'll start with you. You and I being the big-time Yankee fans, we knew this was going to happen, but I think it's once we watch the announcement tomorrow, it's still going to be pretty cool, even though we've seen this day coming for well over a decade now. Ryan, we both grew up watching Derek Jeter play, watching his drum throw, like we talked about right before this podcast started. He's just so iconic to New York, so iconic to the Yankees. And even though everyone knew that 2020 would be the date that he would be enshrined in the Hall of Fame, which is very, very well-deserved, I think we are all very excited for this and very excited that he does have a legitimate chance at being a just a second unanimous Hall of Famer. Yeah, he does. I mean, we uh, Derek is probably sitting right now in, in Miami or Tampa or wherever he is. Just like, I know I'm getting in, but I think deep down he really wants to be unanimous. And I was watching old Hall of Fame call, like where they get the call from Jack O'Connell, who runs uh, the baseball chapter in New York. And I was watching Ken Griffey Jr.'s, and I think he was kind of upset that three people didn't vote for him. I think that still kind of irks him that he wasn't the first unanimous pl- uh, player. We'll get into all of that, but Q, talk to me as, as a Met fan. Uh, you had to watch Derek Jeter on the other side of town, but I'm sure that even a Yankee hater like you c- could appreciate number two in the Bronx. Well, well, funny story here. I actually used to be a Yankees fan. Yes, I am Benedict. <laughs> I'm Benedict Arnold for sure. My screen name used to be Yankee Fan Six Four Five Eight when I was like ten years old. Then I got, you know, I hung out with my grandma, who's a big Mets and Dodgers fan, and you know, forever since I've been losing. So, Jeter should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The jump throw, the inside out hitting, ah, oh, literally revolutionized that. He's just the gold standard of what you want in a player. Bar none. And we mentioned it earlier. This could be a factor based on a lack of range, but. He invented a jump throw, and every shortstop, every infielder, no matter where you played, I was trying jump throws from first base for, for, for no apparent reason when I used to play. I was I watched Derek Jeter from the, literally the day I was born. He made his debut in, in Major League Baseball a couple months before I was born. And he has some magical moments from his 3,000th hit to the walk-off against Arizona in the World Series to literally until his last game at Yankee Stadium. I was at that game, and it was incredible, the walk-off. And you, you just knew it was going to happen. And the guy had an awesome, awesome career. And there, there's a chance that he actually might go into the Hall of Fame on his own, because Larry Walker is on the cusp, I think right now out of public ballots, he's at around 83% or so. Obviously, you need 75%. 
And this is his last year of eligibility. Adam, let me go to you on this. Do you think Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer? I do believe that Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer. There's a lot of people who are against players like Todd Helton and maybe in the future even Nolan Arenado from getting the Hall of Fame. And while that whole course field discussion might be a, dis- a different discussion on its own, Larry Walker was also really, really good away from course field. And uh, some people forget he also started in Montreal and he won an MVP there. And he had a 900 OPS on the road too. And I, I think it's just awful, honestly, that he did not get in sooner. And finally, with this last year, he's getting that much-needed push. He's currently at, uh, I think it was just 85.4%. So you were, you were in the ballpark range, of course. And he should definitely he definitely has a great chance of getting in. You know, still needs a lot of the ballot. Not a sure thing like Derek Jeter. And usually, from the public balance, the percentages go down a little bit. But... All in all, he should definitely get in, and rightly so. Lifetime numbers for Larry Walker. Uh, we'll get into the offensive side in a second, but he did win seven gold gloves. And I, I will never use gold gloves as a prime argument. I think it's something. I think it's kind of like a finishing touch on a Hall of Fame resume because I think offense does win ball games, but defense is obviously pretty important. But let's get into his offensive numbers. Career batting average of three thirteen. He led all of baseball the batting average three times. His career on base percentage was four hundred even. Slugger percentage of five sixty five. Do the math. That's an OPS of nine sixty five. Three hundred eighty three career homers and one thousand three hundred eleven career RBI. Q. He's obviously a pretty good player, but I think the problem with Larry Walker in terms of him getting into the hall, and I think he's a Hall of Famer. I've been saying it for ever since he retired. I thought I always thought Larry Walker was a Hall of Famer. But Larry Walker still has some work to do. In 2015, he had about 11.8% of the vote. He's been steadily climbing, very slowly but surely. I think around 26% or so in 2016. And then he got up to around 34% in 17, or maybe that was 2018. But he definitely has been getting the amount of votes necessary to try to give him this last push to go into the Hall of Fame. I just don't know if he's going to get such a big push again. He increased by 20% of the votes last year. He's going to need 20% again. Right now, again, he's sitting at 83% put. Q, do you think he's going to get this last push? Walker's going in. That's my prediction. I mean, he played at Coors Field. I know that's a big uh, knock to some people, but as others have showed, like Arenado, doesn't really matter. If you're a good hitter, you're a good hitter. And honestly, he's just a great all-around ball player, and he will get in this time around, and he's more than deserving. He certainly is more than deserving. Like I said, seven gold gloves, lifetime average of 313, on-base percentage of 400, a slugging percentage in his career of 565. Do the math. That's a 965 OPS. And I think his OPS away from course field was around 900 or so. So say what you want to say about course field being such a benefiting factor to all of Larry Walker's numbers. He was quite the ball player on the road as well. And when you really look at his numbers, Adam, there's really not much to hate on. I mean, I know it's not 
a career that had 3,300 hits. I know it's not a career where he drove in 1,700 runs. I know it's not a career where he was hitting 450, 500-plus home runs. I'm sure if he was healthy, he probably could have gone up to those numbers. I think his career numbers are kind of low because he did get hurt quite often. But you look at these, the batting average is there. The on-base percentage is there. The slugger percentage is there. The defense was solely there. And defense at course field, let's use course field as an argument, probably the toughest stadium to play defense in. I'm just having a really hard time finding the reasons why he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. He is one. Oh, no doubt about it. And like like you mentioned, there's really just so few remarks on his uh, professional resume in Major League Baseball that indicate that he's not a Hall of Famer. I would say the only clearing hole is that he has 2,160 hits. And Hall of Famers, the B- uh, Baseball Writers Association, they really like those like clearly defined numbers. And like if you're just over 2,000, just under it, they really kind of dislike that. But it's probably more so about the whole course field effect. And, and as both you and Q have mentioned, and I, of course, agree, it's just a damn shame that he was not inducted sooner. Larry Walker on the cusp of finally getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame, one of the most feared hitters in all of baseball during his illustrious career. Tenth and final year on the ballot. He is more he's pretty close. I'm not gonna say likely, but he's pretty close to joining what looks like it's going to be Derek Jeter in Cooperstown this summer. Let's move on to The more controversial topic in regards to the Hall of Fame, it comes up every single year, and that is the use of steroids, the amount of people linked to steroids, whether it's confirmed or whether it's expected, excuse me, all these players on the ballot, whether it's Manny Ramirez, who has been suspended, whether it's Sammy Sosa, who... All signs kind of point to it. And same thing with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who wound up in Congress for what happened with his PED scandal. Everyone pretty much assumes that these guys took the steroids. They have not admitted it. And pretty soon we're going to see guys like David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez on the ballots, all of whom have been linked to some sort of performance-enhancing drugs. But it's time to talk about if these guys should get in, why some are getting more votes than others. Very questionable subject, but Q, what say you? Well, Clemens could throw a splintered bat as best as anyone could if I, you know, in the World Series, if I could remember. But, yeah, you got to let them all in because it's just a gray area. If you don't let some in and some out, it, it just gets hard and complicated. So you have to let them in. Giambi's going to come up in the following years, players like that. Sosa, Bonds, McGuire, all these players – revitalized baseball at a time when they needed it. And for better or worse, it was plaguing the sport, and they need to address what they did. Some of them did, like Palmero. He said he didn't. Maybe he did. But I think they should all be in. That's my opinion. And I'm going to respectfully disagree. I feel like the guys like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds – 
They get my vote because they just dominated. And I feel like guys like Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa, Manny's kind of a different story because he was actually suspended for steroids a couple of times. He wound up getting a 100-game suspension. But guys like Sammy Sosa and Gary Sheffield and uh, I'm sure Jason Giambi, and I'm sure there are going to be a, a lot of other guys that come and go who have been linked to steroids in the past – I feel like a lot of those guys benefited a little bit too much. You look at Sammy Sosa. He had over 600 career homers, but he was a 260 – th- I think it was a 270 hitter lifetime. So while he went up to bat and you – it was almost an assumption that he was going to hit a home run, I just feel like he's one of the guys that benefited a little bit too much. And Adam, it looks like you agree with me. In our notes right here, you don't have Sosa or Manny or anyone, but you have Bonds and Clemens. Give me your thoughts. Well, to first answer that question, I'm giving you like a slight tangent of a story. So I used to be the biggest A-Rod fan. No one was more supportive of A-Rod. I wrote to the guy. A-Rod actually wrote to me back. He actually sent me an apology letter while I was at sleepaway camp about the biogenesis scandal. So I I was enamored with the guy. He was my hero, and it really broke my heart when it steroids the second time. And honestly, I was angry for a bunch of years at him. Did you rip the letter up? Did you rip the letter up? No, I still got it. I still did that. That was you gotta that was find cool. that thing. I want to see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to find it. I know it's at my dad's place somewhere. Yeah, really, please do. But now with Selig in, I think when Selig got in, the man who oversaw all of it to try to save baseball right after the strike, didn't want to call cause enough for controversy. I think once you put him in, once you put Piazza in, once you put Pudge in, once you put Paggle in, I think they all got in. Got in. But to answer your question specifically, Ryan. I think the guys who I believe, if I just had the right to choose who's in the Hall of Fame, I think the guys who deserve to be in it should have dibs in the Hall of Fame first. Like Jeter, for my bout, I had Jeter, Schilling, Walker, Helson, Wagner, Miskell, and Rowan. I think all those guys are deserving. And then once you're done with those guys, then you can put in the PEDs. And that's what, and Bonson Clemens, I mean, they're the best of the best of PEDs. A-Rod, you put alongside there, even though he's not eligible just yet. So... I think you got to let those two, the big ones, Bonds and Clemens, in first, and then the rest of them could follow eventually. But again, the people who did it the right way should always have priority in my book. So it sounds like you see more than 10 guys on the ballot. Obviously, voters can only vote for a maximum of 10 players. You sound like you see a, a lot more than 10. Am I wrong? You are correct. I would, If I had the opportunity, I would vote all the steroid guys in only because I think that baseball oversaw it. They gave rules for it. The players followed with the rules. It wasn't illegal at the time, and there were still – they don't put an asterisk over the players. There were still great players no matter how you look at them by just raw numbers alone. So in that case, yes, I do see more Hall of Famers on this ballot than the nine that I gave. Fair enough. I mean I'm a small hall guy. I feel like if you look at someone who you really have to even think about – you're not a Hall of Famer to me. That's just my personal opinion. I feel like I have to look at a guy and I just know right away whether you're a Hall of Famer or not. And we have a couple of disagreements elsewhere, you and I, Adam. You also had Kurt Schilling on your ballot. You had Scott Rowland on your ballot. You have Omar Vizquel on your ballot as well. Personally, those three guys are gone for me, but I do understand the argument with Kurt Schilling. What, no matter what he's done over the last, I guess, few years or so, whether it's on social media and his political opinions and whatnot, 
he was a pretty damn good pitcher, and he was pretty close to winning a couple of Cy Youngs. He obviously has two rings, one in 01, and he won again in 2004 with the Red Sox, the Bloody Sox, blah, blah, blah. Clearly, I still hate talking about that stupid thing, but dive a little bit deeper into why you would have Chris Schilling in on your ballot. Well, personally, I think just by pure numbers alone, I think Schilling's a Hall of Famer. And he, he was an amazing, amazing pitcher. You know, he won three World Series, and no playoffs don't matter as much. But he threw 300 strikeouts a bunch of times, three separate occasions. Actually, before Kershaw, I believe, did it in, what, 2017, he was the last NL pitcher to throw have 300 strikeouts, which is phenomenal. He was a workhorse for several decades, and he was very clutch. Ever remembers the bloody sock in the 2004 ALCS Oh yeah, and when you have a solid, when you have a solid ERA of, I think his is what three point three four six. That's pretty good, and you have over three thousand innings pitched, three thousand strikeouts. And even though he does have controversy, he has said some really outlandish things. I just want to look at the raw numbers alone on what he did on the field during his career, and by that measurement, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, like you said, definitely some controversial, some controversy rather there. Over the last few years, Kurt Schilling has really been loud and vocal on Twitter with his political views and his views on some journalists in the world. And it, it really is some horrible things. And I think that a lot of people who think that Kurt Schilling is a borderline Hall of Famer, they're automatically just going to nix him because of all of this. And personally, I think to an extent, you need to separate one's character and political beliefs and then their baseball career. It's not like he killed someone, but Q, give me your thoughts on Kurt Schilling. I believe he is, but I also question his character because some of the rem- the remarks he made have been egregious, to say the least, because it's very far right. And I'm more of a centrist guy. I like to stay in the middle, try to stay out of politics, but... He likes to get a little too involved, and he crosses the line a little too much. I think the bloody sock incident coming back 0-3, he was a stud pitcher for many years. Just like you said, you name the numbers. I think he gets in, and I think he's deserving. I think he's going to get in eventually, and he was a pretty damn good pitcher. From like 97 to 04, he had a career ERA of 3.24, a strikeout per nine of 9.6, so more than a strikeout per inning from this guy. Uh, I can definitely see why he's up there. Led the league in innings twice. He accomplished 300 strikeouts three times, and then a fourth, and then he came pretty close a fourth time where he had 293 strikeouts. And like I said, he narrowly missed on Cy Young Awards. In 97, his first season as an All-Star, even though he had a 2.54 ERA in 1990, but he finished in fourth place in that All-Star vote, in that Cy Young voting, excuse me. And then he had three second-place finishes from 2001 to 2004. If you look at some of these numbers, I mean, look at 2001. Led the league with 256 and two-thirds innings. In the following year, he threw 259 and a third innings. And then he also had a 2.40 FIP in 2002. He had a whip of just around one in those years. I think in 2002, his whip was actually under one. So if you take a lot of these seasons, he probably is a Cy Young Award winner. But I know in 2001, he lost to Randy Johnson. And he lost, I think he lost to Randy Johnson in 2002 as well. I think Randy Johnson won 
back-to-back Cy Youngs in those years. And then 2004, he lost to Johan Santana, who had a 2.61 ERA, 265 strikeouts. He had a dominant, dominant season that year. Now, the one thing you'll never be able to convince me on, Adam, is Omar Vizquel. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Try to convince me. So I can understand the controversy with Vizquel because most people would agree on this. He is not an offensive contributor in the slightest. And people who do look at his hits, which is you know pretty nice at 2,800, or stolen bases, which I believe are over 400, which is both very good, but... Both of them were kind of more because of longevity. and But that's also some credit. I mean, you mentioned earlier yourself that longevity is an admirable trait of a Hall of Famer of baseball players in general. And during his time, there's really only one player who's a better defender than him, and that's Ozzie Smith. And I think we should allow more defenders in the Hall of Fame. I know that gold gloves are controversial, but when you have over... 10 Gold Gloves Awards. Good point. I mean, mm-hmm. that's certainly not an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeter's five Gold Gloves Awards could be an accident. We can get to a different point. Yeah, it is kind of amazing that he won five. And it, it, what's funny, too, is that his first one came in 2004, which he was basically gifted because of the dive. And then he won four more after that. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've always felt that Gold Gloves are kind of just a finishing touch. You'll never hear me say that Larry Walker's Gold Gloves are the reason why he should be in, but Q, you're a Viscal guy too. Give me your reasoning. Viscal should be in. Defense is half of the game. It's a facet of the game that has to be played. And what do they say? Defense wins ball games. If you're a quality, not even quality, if you're the gold standard of defense, along with many others, like Cal Ripken, the name, you know, the list goes on, but he literally transformed the position of shortstop and he literally has the stats to back it up i mean adam could go into it his defensive stats back it up stolen bases his hitting's not where it should be but when you can flash the glove like that you deserve to be in because it's just as much as part of the game as offenses. Yeah, I guess so, but with that being said, do you think a guy like Aldrelton Simmons is a Hall of Famer? He's certainly no weapon on offense, but he's probably the best defensive shortstop in baseball right now. Sure. I could definitely see Simmons in the Hall of Fame based on his defense, but you do have a point there, and I would agree with you on this. It is weird to see guys who are primarily defensive players in the Hall of Fame. It is weird to see that. But that'd be a nice trend. And they're starting to specialize in kind of specific one-horse traits. I mean, like your relievers, look at guys who are just powerhouse guys like Frank Thomas, who was one, he was kind of really the first DH he got in the Hall of Fame because he spent a vast majority of his career as a DH, and he was just an amazing offensive contributor. I think defense is just a big part of baseball. I would say offense is more value, but even his counting numbers, at least for some of his offensive stats, are there. That's more of longevity, but as we both agree on, I believe, longevity is a good thing, and his defense is a gold standard. So, yes, he's not as deserving as Walker or Schilling or Jeter, but I do think there should be a place in the hall for someone like this Yeah, look, I'm not taking anything away from Omar Vizquel. One of the best shortstops of all time defensively, there's no doubt about it, but I do think that you need to have some sort of a legitimate offensive output. And Omar Vizquel was never going to beat you with his bat. 
I mean, he was pretty much your general old-school two-hitter. Out of all the games that he played, well over 2,000, he played almost 1,600 of them in the two-hole. But his second, that was his most, his second most was batting ninth. So Omar Vizquel was certainly not a threat up at the plate whatsoever. Sure, you didn't want to hit the ball near him, but he also only had three all-star appearances. And his first one was in 1998, and then again in 1999, and then his last one was in 2002. So... I'm going to go back to this 24-year career, three-time All-Star in 24 years, and in a career where his career batting average was 272. I'm sorry, for, for a contact hitter who does focus on defense, you need to be able to hit 300 more than one time. He hit 333 in 1999, and that was his highest career batting average. His second best was 297, and his best OPS also came in 99, where his OPS was 833. I don't see it personally. I feel like you need to have some sort of an offensive output. Now one guy who I think is certainly getting slept on is Billy Wagner. A dominant, dominant, dominant reliever. I don't think that he's going – well, he hasn't gotten the love like Mariano did or Trevor Hoffman simply because he never racked up 600 saves like those guys did. But Q, you saw this guy in a Met uniform, and he was dominant with Houston too. This guy dominated. Yes, he did. He had the flamethrower. He was one of the original flamethrowers with a dominant slider. He developed a curveball as well. And he was a quality pitcher for many years. In the postseason, not so much. But like you said, the, the voters don't determine it based on really the playoffs as much. They base it on your overall statistics and your performance. And Billy Wagner was lights out, bar none. Yeah, Billy Wagner was certainly special talent. I'm looking at his career numbers right now, and he had a career ERA of 2.31. And to compare, Mariano Mariano Rivera's career ERA was 2.21, so slightly worse in that category. Now, granted, that might be a little bit skewed because Billy Wagner only pitched in 903 innings while Mariano Rivera, not including the postseason, tossed just under 1,300 innings in his career. But here's where the dominance really sets in. Mariano Rivera had a strikeout per nine ratio of 8.2 in his career. Billy Wagner, in his career, he had a strikeout per nine of 11.9. So this might sound controversial, but Billy Wagner was the hater before Josh Hader. I mean, this guy was a lefty flamethrower that no one at the lights had seen. He's throwing strikeout numbers no one has seen before at the time. And also, I think we're just ridiculous about the save issue. He When he retired, he was still second in saves. Yeah, and he's actually sixth all-time now with 422. Which is ridiculous. So his 422 looks a lot bigger in that aspect. I think some of the Hall of Fame voters are just angry. He never got to a 1,000 innings pitched, which I believe both Rivera and Hoffman did. But he was, he was lights out. He was a really good closer. He's not going to have the pedigree like Rivera did, maybe not as much as Hoffman did, but he is a he's definitely a bit of a distant third, but he's still deserving of the Hall of Fame. You honestly can't even argue that Billy Wagner wasn't dominant uh, at all. He had, a, he had a career rip, a career whip. I'm already getting tongue twisted here. He had a career whip, there we go, of 0.998. So he was, he was really, really dominant. And something else about Billy Wagner, he finished in the top six in Cy Young Award voting twice. 
That is not easy yep. to do for a reliever. I'm going to look at his numbers in his prime, which is I'm going to base it from 1999 to 2010. That's his first all-star appearance to his last. So that's just about that's 12 seasons. His ERA was 2.22. He had a strikeout per nine of 11.5, which is actually lower than his career strikeout per nine. So I really would love to see where the numbers kind of uh, fell through during during that time span. But this guy was really, really dominant. You made a good point, too. He was Josh Hader before Josh Hader. This is coming from... I mean, Josh Hader is 6'5". He has that long body. He has the long hair. He has the really powerful motion of home plate. Billy Wagner was 5'10", 180 pounds. So that kind of firepower from a guy that size was also very surprising and more the kudos to him. But I want to go back to Visco real quick. Not necessarily just about him. But I do remember how long it took Edgar Martinez to get into the Hall of Fame. Mariano Rivera called Edgar Martinez the toughest hitter he ever faced. His offensive numbers were obviously there, but it took him 10 years simply because he's a DH. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how many people are voting for Fiscal who didn't vote for Edgar, but... You, you are on the ball because baseball has transformed. You got to realize, Adam's talking from a perspective of when Fiscal has played. Literally... The game has changed. It's become an offensively driven game. Back then, defense is what ruled. Right now, it's the home runs. It's the strikeouts. I, I don't know how much of that really plays in, though. I, I think these writers are just – they come up with their own rules every single year. I mean, look at Peter Gammons. Peter Gammons this year did not vote for Larry Walker – Last year, keep in mind, this is Larry Walker's last year on the ballot. He needs every vote that he can get. Remember, we were talking about it before. He needs a lot of pushes to finally get in, and he's deservedly so a Hall of Famer in in all of our opinions. But why in the world would he vote for six players this year and drop not only Larry Walker, he dropped Todd Helton too. Now, I can understand that if you had 13 guys, 14 guys on your ballot and you had to drop some people, but he was able to add two more guys. I think writers really need to start being held a little bit more accountable. And I guess we'll, we'll wrap up with this. We all know the Hall of Fame voting process isn't perfect. A lot of people have differing opinions. I'm going to give my argument on how I think it should be fixed. I feel like there needs to be one ballot, no more of this 10-year stuff, no more of this maximum 10 years or whatever. Give, get everyone one ballot. You retire, you're on the ballot five years from now. And if you, the writers get unlimited votes, if you get 75%, you're in. If not, you're out. Your stats aren't changing Anytime soon. You're not hitting 20 more home runs. You're not going to drive in 50 more runs while you're retired. You're on your fourth year of the ballot. The stats are going to be the same exact numbers as your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth years on the ballot. Now, I do understand that you can be convinced otherwise. Like I said before, I was almost convinced about Kurt Schilling before, but I still don't think he's all the famer. I feel like you're a Hall of Famer or you're not. I got an argument against that. The game changes, and the system, the word you're looking for is mishmash. It's archaic. They need to take the media somewhat out of it or maybe make the media 
50-50 and put maybe the Players Association or veteran players or front office people, anybody else but the media, because the media can only know so much. They never picked up a baseball, half of these guys. So how can they be determinant on who's going to become a Hall of Famer and who's not? And as you said, they fluctuate their votes. They take one guy in this year. The next year it's out. It's just not consistent at all. And they need to make some concise system where the players who literally blood, sweat, tears throughout all the years. Sorry for that alliteration, and I'm not a rapper, but (laughs) literally they need something to rein it in and make the players who are deserving get what they deserve. Yeah, all good points there also. The one thing that I don't want to see, though, I don't want to see fans vote. I feel like the media is already somewhat biased enough. You got East Coast biased, and you got everyone from the Boston Globe is going to vote Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz until the day they die. So the media is already biased. But once you get fans into it, they're just going to vote for whoever they think their players are, their favorite players are. They're going to vote for the guys who stink, and just because they're likable in the media or something like that, they're going to get their votes. We see it in hockey all the time. I remember, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he was basically a fourth liner. He was pretty much an enforcer. And then all of a sudden, he's getting voted for for the, for, for the NHL All-Star Weekend like nothing else in the world mattered. And even in the NBA, when LeBron missed like 20 games last year, he was still getting all-star votes. I think Kobe tore his Achilles. He was getting votes. It's like Brian Scalabrini getting votes. Hey, hey, hey. You don't talk about Scalabrini like that. (laughs) My bad. You're fully right. You're fully right. Fans cannot be involved because fans love, you know, the the lovable guy. And they'll wind up putting, you know. They put player him out there. like a like a Nick Swisher or like a uh, Trevor Bauer is actually kind of good, but like uh, any of those loud players that are on social media, like the Trevor Bowers of the world, the Nick Swishers of the world, those are the guys who are going to get in. Billy Hamilton, Billy Hamilton. Yeah, I, mean, I, maybe? I don't know how well he's perceived by fans, but I do know that he's a household name because he could be a, a, a kick returner on any NFL team right now. Uh, but I guess that that's a good one. They they might they might also fall in love with one statistic like Billy Hamilton with the steals or you know maybe runs or hits or strikeouts or ERA and like you said it has to be a yeah, fan, fans are definitely way too biased. Like I said before, we already have the biased media getting these guys in. Fans I just think would put Everything over the top. Adam, I know that you had a couple of other opinions also. Why don't you highlight what you think and uh, and what do you think about our ideas also? I actually like both of your viewpoints. So, Chris, I do think it shouldn't all be media-based, but I would like to make a slight revision to your idea. I think that the players should have a voice in who gets about because, like you mentioned, they are the ones who – know the game the best, and have played with these guys. And I think there should be a players' committee also to join the Baseball Writers Association to help get the ballot. And, Ryan, I like your idea of a one-and-done ballot, but I also like the idea of a veterans' ballot where players who are holdovers and people maybe want to take another look at them could have the chance to also get in with a different type of writing uh, crew. The veterans' committee doesn't even make much sense to me anyway. I don't understand how you can have 10 people on the ballot – 
And all the all ten of those years, I mean, it used to be fifteen up until pretty recently. Ten years on the ballot, and your candidacy is based on the opinions of four hundred to five hundred writers every single year. You don't make it through ten years. Bummer. Then all of a sudden, because they feel bad for you, here's your participation trophy. The Veterans Committee, who is a committee of, what, 12 people? So all of a sudden, you go from having 450 to 500 people trying to get you in or trying to keep you out. That's how corrupt this system is. To all of a sudden, you get 9 out of 12 people or 8 out of 12 people, whatever the number is. If those people say, yes, you're in, then you get a plaque in Monument Park. It's just very inconsistent consistent the way that the baseball hall of fame runs its course and then guys like harold baines get into the hall of fame it's very hypothetical but in span the veterans committee too you're right it should not be determined by 12 people especially when we've seen with a lot of these media guys voting harold baines of all people who he himself was very surprised he might have even thought why am i on this ballot too Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a legitimate argument and it's, it's funny because they're also very, very determined to not have George Steinbrenner, who just revolutionized how owners voted him in. I mean, yes, he's definitely a head case, but the best, still, the best head case nice out to there. Have. I'm an Mets fan. I, I love, I choose George <laughs> for Wilpon. <laughs> this is where I also can't stand the Hall of Fame. So if you go on baseball reference, right, there's similarity scores. And if you go to Harold Baines' baseball reference page, you scroll down to the similarity scores. I'm kind of having a tough time reading it, but there's one thing. I'm looking at, what is it, age differences? And if I see your name is next to Jeff Francoeur, you are not a (laughs) Hall of Famer. But that's going to do it for the fourth episode of Exit Velo. Thanks so much for listening. For Adam Cohen and Christian Q. Caranta, I'm Ryan Morick. Who's going to join Derek Jeter? in the Hall of Fame on Tuesday night. Will it be Larry Walker? Will Kurt Schilling get a late push also? We shall see. It is not goodbye. It is see you later. So long and take care, everybody.
I actually like both your viewpoints. So Chris, I do think it shouldn't all be media-based, but I would like to make a slight revision to your idea. I think that the players should have a voice in who gets about because like you mentioned, they are the ones who know the game the best and have played with these guys. And I think there should be a players committee also to join the Baseball Writers Association to help get the ballot. And Ryan, I like your idea of a one-and-done ballot but I also like the idea of a veterans ballot where players who are holdovers and people maybe want to take another look at them could have the chance to also get in with a different type of writing uh, crew. It's very hypothetical, but in span the Veterans Committee, too, you're right. It should not be determined by 12 people, and especially when we've seen with a lot of these media guys voting Harold Baines, of all people, who he himself was very surprised. He might have even thought, why am I on this ballot, too? <laughs> it's a legitimate argument, and it's, it's funny because they're also very, very determined to not have George Steinbrenner, who just revolutionized how owners voted him in. I mean, yes, he's definitely a head case, but... Still, it'd be nice to have... <laughs>